A reading from Psalm 104. These are God's words. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. O Yahweh, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, wrapping yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out the heavens like a tent curtain. He lays the beam of his upper chambers in the waters. He sets up the cloud to be his chariot. He walks upon the winds, uh, uh, walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes his angels the winds, his ministers flaming fire. He founded the earth upon its place, so it will not shake forever and ever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they hurried away in alarm. The mountains went up, the valleys went down, to the place which you founded for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass over, so that they will not return to cover the earth. He sends forth springs in the valleys, they flow between the mountains. They give water to every beast of the field, the wild donkeys quench their thirst. Above them the birds of the heavens dwell, they give forth their voices among the branches. He gives water to the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for man's cultivation, to bring forth food from the earth and wine, which makes man's heart glad, to make his face glisten more than oil and food which sustains man's heart. The trees of, the, of Yahweh are satisfied, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted. Where the bird, birds build their nests, the stork's home is in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the uh, Shephanim. Shephanim. He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place for its setting. You appoint darkness so that it becomes night, in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar to go after their prey and to seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes forth to his work and to his labor until evening. How numerous are your works, O Yahweh! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This is the sea, great and broad. There the creeping things are without number, creatures both small and great. There the ships move along, and Leviathan, which you have formed, to play in it. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they breathe their last, and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Let the glory of Yahweh endure forever. Let Yahweh be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to Yahweh throughout my life. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my musing be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in Yahweh. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. 
Praise Yah. These are God's words. You can take your seats. There are a lot of interesting things for us to consider in the psalm. But the psalm, or the point of them all, is seen in the first few verses. O Yahweh, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The greatness of God is the theme of the psalm, and the main meditation that the psalmist uses to prove God's greatness is his wisdom and power in creation and his sustaining of the earth. Considering Yahweh's greatness, the psalmist tells his soul to bless Yahweh. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, is what he says. There are things going on all around us every day at every moment that require a fitting response from our souls, and we've talked about this before. Because we are often dull to the wonders around us, often caught gazing at our own navels, we need to speak to our souls, telling them to bless God, telling them to be thankful, telling them to notice the greatness of our God at any point in time. Now, was the psalmist calling on his soul to bless God because there was a lack of thankfulness in him? We don't know that that was his specific motivation. Nevertheless, he was calling on his soul to respond to the truth of his surroundings, to respond to the reality of God's greatness on display everywhere. And so should we. We should speak to our souls this way, stirring up what is within us, provoking a response toward God. Now, there is much here in this psalm that obviously I'm not going to be able to cover or go through. I'm not going to go verse by verse. That would require a full-length sermon or multiple sermons. So what I plan to do is outline the whole psalm so that we can follow the psalmist's train of thought. Then I'm going to hone in on one part and draw from it a brief meditation on feasting before Christmas. So after calling on his soul to bless God in verses 2 through 4, he describes with a number of images God and all his greatness in the heavenly realms. A part of his greatness is the power seen in his ministers of wind and flaming fire, that is, his angels or his divine counsel. Uh, then from verse 5 through to verse 23, we move down from the heavenly realms to God's creation of the earth and sustaining of the earth. This retelling of creation begins with God laying the foundation of the earth. Then out of the earth came all of the awe-inspiring things that we see and enjoy today. He then highlights that the power seen in God's creation is still at work as he provides all the things that his creatures need. Verses 15 and, uh, 14 and 15 say, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for man's cultivation to bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes man's heart glad, to make his face glisten more than oil and food which sustains man's heart. The last thing he mentions is that God has given this wonderful creation to man to work. The creation that he just described, teeming with life and wonder, this is where man goes forth to his work, verse 23. This work that we have given, that we are given, should provoke gratitude. It is a privilege to be given this work in such a place, such a place of wonder. 
A man's labor has been set up for him in such a way that there is a perpetual daily cycle. I think that this is what the psalmist had in mind when he said in the last part of verse 23 that man goes to his labor until evening. He talked about the lions doing it at night, and then man goes about his work in the morning till evening. So this implies that we have a daily toil that's a cycle. And then in verse 24, considering how numerous God's works are in creation, he breaks out into worship. How numerous are your works, O Yahweh, and wisdom you have created them all. The earth is full of your possessions. God's wisdom is manifest in all that he has made. Name one created thing, and you could give a sermon about the wisdom of God contained in that one thing. How does the bird fly? How does a caterpillar transform into a butterfly? How does the energy contained in a banana turn into gorilla muscles? His wisdom is evident, but it is also unfathomable. It is so vast, and we are so dull, not, a, not attuned to these things, that we could never fully wrap our heads around the wisdom that is contained in all his creation. I think this meditation of the psalmist here is that God's works are too numerous, too wise, for, us to wor- for our worship to be too great. He must be praised with our whole being. One in- interesting part of God's wisdom that the psalmist includes here, that he highlights, is that he built futility and dependence into all his creatures. They were created wonderfully, but wonderfully dependent. The fact that his creation are constantly in need of God for his food, for his air, for his water, for everything that will sustain their lives, this was not a design flaw. This was his wisdom. It is good for man or any finite creature to know that he is not self-sustaining. They are all perpetually dependent upon God. The psalmist wisely points this out. In verse 27 and onward, he describes creation as waiting on God to provide for them. It says, They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they breathe their last and return to the dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. This shows our dependency. This is why it is wise to pray as Jesus taught us to. Give us this day our daily bread. The daily part is not an unimportant detail. In our Western prosperous society, we take for granted our daily food. But in truth, we are still dependent on the invisible God to provide our food each day. Because God has left the tap on does not mean that he will not turn the tap off. He could. So this psalm serves as a reminder to us all that we should consider ourselves as dependent, waiting on the Lord for our provision. God intentionally removes provision, and it is seen here in this verse at times as well. So... Um, He gives everything we have and takes away whatever he wills. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Anything that is taken away from us was first given to us. So God should be praised for that too. Even 
the giving and taking of life. The psalmist includes this here. He thinks it's important. He is sovereign over who gets what. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11. But the main focus here, though, is that God in his sovereignty is a kind provider and the gift giver of all things. Verse 31 to the end of the psalm. Um, the psalmist highlights why God made all things. Why did he make these things? God has made everything for his own glory and his own pleasure. Because of this, the psalmist expresses his own desire that God would enjoy his creation. God made creation for his pleasure, so let him be glad in it. See this in uh, verse 31. Let the glory of Yahweh endure forever. Yet uh, let Yahweh be glad in his works. Let him be glad. May God be pleased with all that he has made. Don't we want God to enjoy his creation? Of course we do. So we're going to sing with the psalmist these lyrics. Then further, the psalmist being one of God's created things, expresses his desire that God would be pleased with him, that he would fulfill the purpose for which he was made, that Yahweh would take pleasure in him as he worships Yahweh throughout his life. Verse 33. I will sing to Yahweh throughout my life. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my musing be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in Yahweh. This is so great. May our life song be the same as the psalmist. He then finishes with a request that logically follows from everything else we have heard previously. Since it is God's desire to have pleasure in his creation... He says in verse 35, Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. Praise Yah. This would be a random tag at the end of this psalm if it had no connection to God's purposes for this world. Christ was born on Christmas Day to rid the world of sin. This was his purpose. The Father loved the world. He loved his creation, so he sent his Son. This is why we sing at Christmas. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Wherever sin and the curse are found, wherever they are present in his creation, God takes displeasure in it. Man imposed the effects of sin on his creation. So Christ, loving the world, loving this creation, wanted to redeem it from the effects of sin. And he took sin upon himself so that those effects might be removed from the earth. This was symbolized in the crown of thorns that he wore on his head. The curse was pressed into his head. And he took the full curse upon himself by being hung on a tree. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So this is one way that he rids sin from his creation. He removes sin from sinners. The other way is through judgment. And I think that this is the primary sense of this text. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. 
Let the wicked be no more. Since he loves his creation, he removes what displeases him from it. So we too should ask God, we should make requests in line with his will, that sinners would be consumed from the earth, those who are not submitting to his will. So to briefly summarize the, the outline of this psalm in a sentence, the psalmist tells his soul to bless Yahweh because Yahweh is great in the heavens and from there he established the earth and continues to sustain it. Then the psalmist calls all creation, including himself, to wait on Yahweh and praise him for the provision of their needs as long as they live. A final Christmas application or exhortation. Christmas is the most extravagant time of celebration in the Christian calendar. As Non said last week, God wants us to have times of feasting, and choosing to feast at Christmas makes sense. God is honoured when we celebrate Christ's birth with extravagance, because it is truly the high point of history, full of unfathomable glory, where God loved us with extravagance. God became flesh so that man no more may die. So we feast. And at the center of this feasting must be gladness. Tis the season to be jolly. This psalm says that God gives us the, the food from the earth and wine to make us happy, to make us jolly. Let me read again the verse that says this specifically. This is verse 14. He brings forth food from the earth and wine, which makes man's heart glad. If we are not glad in our Christmas celebration feasts, we are getting it wrong. But being sinners, it is easy to get it wrong. There is a lot of hustle and bustle around this time and plenty of opportunity to be annoyed. Expectations are often not met and the immature amongst us, namely our children and sometimes our husbands, can be naggy and needy. Now I say that as a bit of a joke, but I do think men in particular are inclined to be curmudgeonly in times of high activity and loud excitement. And it is harder for us to let our hair down. But we do have a duty to be glad, and especially to not be a dampener on others' gladness. Also, most of us will be spending time with our non-Christian family, which can bring all sorts of difficulties. There can be awkward conversations. We might have to be tolerant of their sin at times, and that can be upsetting. Even so, we must try to outdo the world with our gladness. We should be gladder. This was the end for which God made us, and this was the end for which he sent his son. Joy to the world, particularly to Christians. So let us guard our hearts, praying that we would not be led into temptation this Christmas season. And may he deliver us from the evil one. And let us cultivate thankfulness and gladness this Christmas season. So let's sing together now the last quarter of the psalm. We couldn't sing the whole lot. That would take too long. So we're going to sing the last quarter to the tune of the church's one foundation. How many are
Oh.